Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Of course, we're continuing our study of the life of Jesus Christ as seen through the eyes of Matthew. He was, of course, a tax collector chosen by Jesus to be one of the 12 disciples. And, of course, as you know, and this is what we've been seeing from the very beginning, Matthew's gospel presents Jesus Christ to be the king of the Jews. We have a little handout, that little card that you could pick up on one side. It gives Matthew, it gives you the author, the date, and all the things and the basics about it. On the flip side is the outline of the study, uh, uh, outlined through the the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. So be sure and get one of those if you don't have it, and you can keep it in your Bible. Use it as you study. Uh, we're seeing, of course, Matthew says Jesus Christ is the King of the Jews. He is the one predicted in the Old Testament as the Son of David who would come and rule the throne of Israel and the world as Savior and King. And it is a great book. Last time, we actually saw the birth of Jesus Christ. And the way that Matthew presents this is not quite the way that Luke presents it. Luke gives us much more information, but Matthew basically says the baby was born and they name him Jesus. And uh, Joseph obeyed because when he found out that Mary was pregnant, he thought, well, uh, you know, I'm going to put her away privately. And in a dream, an angel came to him and said, don't be afraid to marry her because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And and you'll have a son, you'll name him Jesus, and he'll be the savior of the world. He'll save his people. And so that's exactly what happened. This morning, we're going to continue seeing some more of the early years of the life of Christ. And in reality, it's not so much about Christ. It's about those connected with him. And we're going to see the sovereignty and the protection of God as we go through this passage. God is working. He is bringing the King and Messiah into the world. And as I want to put it, we're going to see the sovereign protection of God. It's a famous story. You've read it many, many times. In fact, usually you hear this and you say, oh, this has got to be, is it close to Christmas time yet? No, it's not. This, we're studying the Gospel of Matthew, and this is right at the beginning. And, of course, when we get to December, we'll probably bring some of this back and think about it again. But this is famous But there may be some things that you hadn't thought about that you hadn't seen before. So we'll see it as we go through. What comes through your mind when you hear the word warning? Usually it's positive. positive. We say, you know, somebody's warning us for his own good, like medicine. Keep out of reach of all children. Get that top on there. For cleaning products, please do not take internally. For cigarettes, they're hazardous to your health. When you go to the railroad thing and it comes down, bing, 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 is making noise. Don't cross this. In Oklahoma, we have the sirens that said, listen, the tornadoes are coming. I have a friend that has a car that when the, when the door is ajar, it goes, your door is ajar. You know, and so it's a warning. This morning, we're going to see God warns the wise men and Joseph from the danger. And the danger is a man by the name of Herod. As we begin our study, what we find out that when you get to Matthew chapter 2, that Jesus is probably about two years old. And you go, two years old? Yeah, we'll talk about it. How do we know that? The wise men come to this evil man named Herod, and we'll see what happens. And as we look at this chapter, uh, this little section, we're going to see two things. The sovereignty of God, because God is working all these events and fulfilling them, and we're going to see four times in the whole chapter. We won't see it all this morning, but there are times it'll say, this fulfilled a prophecy. And so we're going to see that as we go through it. This fulfills a prophecy. And then we're going to see the protection of God. At least three times in the passage, God protects uh, Joseph. He protects the wise men. And we're going to see what he does. Now, as we begin, just realize that this is the early years of Christ, and we don't see much about Jesus. In fact, only in the the Gospel of Luke do you find when Jesus is a boy. He's 12 years old. The rest of the time is just the birth, and then all of a sudden he's 30 years old. 
and he begins his ministry. So we don't have a whole lot of information. This morning, it's a famous event. It is the coming of the wise men from the east looking for the one born king of the Jews. It affects a lot of people. It affects Herod. It affects the family. It affects the city of Bethlehem and the, and the city of Jerusalem as well. Now, let me give you the, just a quick breakdown. We're going to see the Magi. The Magi arrive, and then they come to Herod. They come to Jerusalem, and Herod gets the religious leaders. And then we see that they come to Je- that he comes to Jesus, and they get Herod's instructions. They find the, the, get you know instructions from Herod, then they find the house, and then the warning. So we're going to see how it all fits together. There's a lot there. So let's begin. Now, the Magi are coming. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, after... Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. In the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying... Now, Matthew writes this, and he wants us to get information. He wants us to understand that this is after Jesus was born. Now, we realize that tradition is sort of confusing on this. When, when you think of the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, most everybody has the little manger scene, and it's all there. And there is the baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And then there are the shepherds, and there's the animals, and there's the three wise men. And we all picture that night that Jesus was born, the, angel, the shepherds were out in the, in the field, and the angel came upon him and said, Good news, great joy to all people born this day in the city of David as a Savior, Christ the Lord. And so they went in, and they found him. And so there's all the pictures. And, and, and then you say, Okay, but don't forget the three wise men. You know, we three kings of Orient are. You know, we always sing that. They aren't there that night. In fact, we're going to find they were there about two years later. And so when we get to Matthew chapter 2, and I'll tell you how we know it's two years, about two years, we'll see it in just a minute. But tradition's a little bit different. And, and so tradition tells us the night Jesus was born, all these people were there, but we're going to find that in Matthew chapter 2, the wise men come, and it's maybe been close to two years. As we look at Matthew 2, we see this. Uh, let, me, let me give you an idea. Uh, if you look uh, at chapter 2, verse 7, Herod secretly called the Magi to determine from them the exact time the star appeared. They said they saw a star, and they followed it. It took them about two years to get there. So they asked Herod, and they said, uh, Herod asked them, tell me about exactly when did you first see the star? And they told him. And then later on, in verse 16, Herod saw they had been tricked by the Magi. He became enraged, and he killed all male children who were in Bethlehem and all his vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. So the best we can tell when we get Matthew chapter 2 is that when these wise men come, these Magi come, uh, Jesus is probably close to two years old. We're going to see some other things. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me show you this. We're going to find out that when Jesus was born, he's called a baby. The, the Greek word, when it talks about the baby being born, is a Greek word called brethos. It refers to a baby in the womb, but it also refers to a brand new baby being born. And uh, that's what Jesus was called. But in this passage, he's not called a brethos. He's called a young boy. In fact, the Greek word is pation which means a little boy. Also, we find that in Luke, he was in a manger, but in this passage, they come to a house. So I just want you to see that what maybe you've always thought. I remember when I trusted Christ, and, and uh, the, the first time I started growing and I started studying the Bible, and somebody helped show me this, and I remember going home for Christmas telling my mother and daddy, hey, you've got to take those wise men. They're not going to be in our deal because they weren't there, you know, because that's against the tradition. Let's see what happens. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, we meet this man. His name is Herod. He was called Herod the Great. Now, let me tell you, in one sense, he was a great he was great in the sense that he did all kind of things. He ruled in, the, in this area of the world from about 48 B.C. to about 4 B.C. We're, or uh, we're not sure exactly the dates. We know that he was alive when Jesus was born. That's what we know. We don't know how far after that. We don't know exactly the date that Jesus was born. Some people actually put it at 4, 4 B.C. That's how they put it because they just figure that way we started reckoning time may have been off just a little bit. But anyway, this man was evil. Let me tell you about him. He, he, he was a powerful man, and the Romans saw his abilities to rule, and so they placed him over the whole region of what we call Israel. And he had the northern part, the southern part, even off to the west, and, uh, and um, excuse me, off to the east. He was an incredible ruler. Let me tell you, he was an evil man. And he had, I think he had seven or eight wives. He had a number of sons. But he would be threatened by them. And as one of his sons got old enough to rule, he killed them. And he claimed to be part Jewish. He was actually an Iudeman, which means he was a descendant of Esau. And since Esau came you know, back through Abraham, not through exactly the lineage of Abraham, but he, Esau was a descendant in a sense of Abraham. And so he claimed that he was Jewish. And so he wouldn't eat pork. So he wouldn't kill a pig. But he killed his sons. And there was a saying at the time that Herod was the king, it would be better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son because he'll kill his son, but he won't kill a pig. We think he killed at least four or five of his sons when they got old enough because he felt threatened that they would try to take over his kingship. He was a great builder. He built a place called Masada. Uh, if you've ever been to Israel, if you've ever seen pictures, Masada was built on the side of a, a huge mountain, and it was a fortress, and there's a great history there. I've been to Masada. He built a thing called the Herodium, which was a big place for him. He helped build the temple. It took 49 years, and he helped rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, the temple that Jesus went into. By the time Jesus was born, we're almost to the end of his life. Uh, he's paranoid. He's evil. Uh, when, when these wise men come and say, we're looking for one born king of the Jews, that's not going to make him happy at all. It's going to make him very angry. Now, when we look at this, it says, in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east. Now, the word magi means wise men. It, it has the idea of astronomers. And they're from the east. They could have been Iran, Iraq, maybe even China. We don't know. We don't know where they came from. Most likely from what would have been the Babylonian Empire or the Persian Empire. And they've come looking for the king of the Jews. The one born king of the Jews. And they understand who he is because they say we have come to worship him. So they know what they've come for. Now, how in the world with people living in what would be modern-day Iran, Iraq, which would be Babylon, which would be a thousand miles away from Israel at this time, how would they know about a Messiah? How would they know about the king of the Jews? Well, if you remember that Daniel, some 400 and something years before then, lived in the Persian Empire and was a great leader. And he taught the Bible, and I guarantee you that, that Daniel taught about one day there would come a Messiah, there would come a Savior. And in fact, Numbers chapter 24 says that there will be a star coming out of Jacob. And I bet you that Daniel told them that one day when the king comes, there will be a sign. It could be a star. And what happened? A star appeared. And these magi 
in the east, wherever they are, probably Iran, Iraq, modern times, Babylonian, Persian Empire, old times, they saw this star. And some of them said, this is, this is the king. This is the king we've waited for. This is the king of the Jews. This is the Messiah. Let us go and worship him. And they make a thousand-mile trip to worship Jesus. Now, I want to clarify that because the, the religious leaders lived in Jerusalem, and they would have only had to make a six-mile trip to find him. Okay? And so let's see what happens. It says, Now that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east, the, these astronomers from the east, arrived in Jerusalem. Now, they came to Jerusalem, and here's what they said. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now notice what they say. Where is he that has been born king of the Jews? Not where is the king of the Jews, because the king of the Jews was Herod. Herod said, I'm the king of the Jews. I rule over the Jews. I'm the mighty man. These people can come in and say, where's the king of the Jews? They said, where's the one born king of the Jews? Now I'm going to tell you that Herod's not going to like that at all. They, they said, we saw the star. Now let me just, I want you to think about something. Okay, they saw a star. And you go out at night, you see stars. You see a star and you go... I think I'll follow that star. How are you going to follow that star? I mean, you keep walking, it just keeps going. And, you, you know, it, you can't follow it, follow it. There was something that came in the sky that looked like a star that they saw and was where they could, could, could follow it. And it moved, and they followed it, and they came all the way to Jerusalem. We saw a star, and notice what they say. We have come to worship him. We come to worship him. He is the king. He's the Messiah. He is God. They, they're not coming to say we found the boy king. They're not coming to say we found this little baby. They're coming to find the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the son of God. They've come to worship him as the savior of the world. How do we look at Jesus? Do we see him as the savior of the world? Do we see him as the king of kings? Do we worship him? This morning we sang some incredible songs and we sang songs to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to throw some things out that you might not have ever thought about. Okay, so God wants the wise men to find Jesus. Do you all agree with that? Right? And he put a star up, right? Did the star take them to Jesus? No, it took them to Jerusalem. Where's Jesus? He's in Bethlehem. Why did he go to Jerusalem? They get to Jerusalem and they go, okay. I don't see the star anymore. So we're here. So let's go talk to Herod, king of the Jews, and say, where's the one born king of the Jews? Why would God take him to Jerusalem and not to Bethlehem? Why wouldn't they go straight to Bethlehem? Have you ever thought maybe God wanted Herod to know that there's one born king of the Jews? Have you ever thought that the religious leaders are going to be called in this passage, that God wanted them to know that six miles away is the Messiah? And they won't even go six miles to find him. There's a reason that they came to Jerusalem first. And so they come into Jerusalem and says, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east, and we've come to worship him. But notice this. When Herod and the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Herod was troubled. You know why he's troubled? Because the word troubled is agitated. He's bothered, and it says all Jerusalem. By the way, what's the tradition? How many wise men were there? Tradition? 
We three kings of Orient are. There were three? You'd think the whole city of Jerusalem, which at this time was probably all close to 100,000 people, you'd think three people coming in on, ca- on camels is going to c- put the whole city in an uproar? There is a caravan coming into that city with all kind of people, and they're coming in, and they go straight to the king, and they say, we want to find the one born king of the Jews. The whole city is in an uproar. Notice what it says. When Herod the king was heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Don't picture three guys on a camel. Picture a caravan coming into Jerusalem with all kind of people. And they want to know where is one born king of the Jews. And Herod heard this. He was troubled. So here's what he did. He's smart. He's smart. He gathered together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. That's the Jewish people. And he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. See, they know that the king of the Jews is the Messiah. See, understand that. The king of the Jews is the Messiah and the Savior of the world. They know that. He gathers together the chief priests and the scribes. So he brings together, even though he controlled everything, he brings together these Jewish leaders. And the first one was the chief priest. Now let me tell you, the chief priest, at that time there were a lot of sects, but there's one sect that were called the Sadducees and another sect called the Pharisees. You've heard of them all. The Pharisees were very religious. There were a lot of Pharisees. They had all the rules. They kept all the laws. The Sadducees weren't as many, but they were wealthy people, and many of them were the priests. And so he brought in the chief priest. He brought in the rich Sadducees and brought them in and said, where is the one born king of the Jews? Where is he supposed to be born? He also brought in the scribes. Now the scribes, the word scribe means to write. These were the Bible scholars. If you had a Bible question, you probably wouldn't go to the priest because the priest didn't believe the Bible. I want you to understand that. They didn't believe supernatural things, not the priest. The Pharisees believed the Bible. The Sadducees did not believe the Bible. The scribes studied the Bible. And so if you had a Bible question, you'd say, scribes, and they'd go. And they'd look through all their scrolls, and they'd find it. Well, he gathers them together, and he says, listen, where is the Messiah to be born? And so the chief priest and the scribes, they got an answer because they know the Bible. Notice what it says. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what had been written by the prophet. Now, before we go any further, listen, did they know the Bible? Did they know the Bible? Yes, they did. The scribes knew the Bible. Did you know that some of the Pharisees memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, which we call the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? They had it memorized. They could begin and go all the way through the five books. And so they knew the Bible. But knowing the Bible doesn't mean you even know Christ as Savior. Knowing the Bible doesn't mean you're even a believer. And so as we look at these people, we see that this is religion. See, religion is always based on works, but relationship always is by faith. Salvation is by faith. Religion is by works. And I was thinking the other day, talking to a guy, and they said, well, how, do, how can we tell? Like, we say Christianity is right and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. How do we know that's really right? Well, look at every religion in the world. I do not consider Christianity religion. Religion is man doing something to please God. You look at every religion, man is doing something to get to God, whether it's to pray three times or crawl this way or put something through your hand. It doesn't matter what it is. They have to do it to get to God. Christianity is the only one that is God-pleasing God. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Christianity is the only one that is by grace through faith plus nothing. And so we've got religious leaders who keep, try to keep all the rules but they do not believe in the Messiah. And it says, where is this Savior supposed to be born? Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they quote, uh, they basically say, it's supposed to be uh, what the prophet says. It's supposed to be in Bethlehem. 
And notice verse 6, it says, they quote uh, Micah chapter 5, and it says, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you, out of this city, will come the fourth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. See, the, the prophecy was Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that the Messiah will come from the little town of Bethlehem. The little town of Bethlehem. There were two Bethlehems, by the way. I don't know if you know that. There's one in the south, which is right by Jerusalem. There was one in the north. The one in the south was called Bethlehem Ephratah. And I want to show you Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and I want you to see it. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, for from you one will go forth to be ruler in Israel. Now, you could stop and say, how do we know that's the Messiah? Could it not be any king? Notice the last part of the verse. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. He just says that this one coming out of Bethlehem will be one who has lived and existed for all time. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who's always existed. So that's who he's talking about. And so they look at it. The religious leaders say Bethlehem. As I said a while ago, Bethlehem is six miles from Jerusalem. Let's go to Perkins. How far is it to Perkins? 10 to 12 miles maybe? We're talking six miles. It's less. You, to get to Bethlehem from Jerusalem would be faster. You, you could get there quicker than go into Perkins. And the religious leaders said, yeah, we looked in the scripture and it's Bethlehem. Y'all going to go? No. We're not going to go six miles. These guys made a thousand mile trip to worship the king. The religious leaders will not go six miles. So what happened? Herod now has found out that the Messiah, the king of the Jews, was to be born in Bethlehem. So he knows he's in Bethlehem. And so what does he do? Verse 7, then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared secretly. He doesn't tell the religious leaders. He doesn't tell the Jewish people. He brings in these Magi and he said, listen, I, I wanted to tell you something. He, it's supposed to be Bethlehem. And I want to ask you this. What time did you first see the star? He's going forth of eternity. When did you first see the star? About what time did you first see the star? And they're going to tell him about two years. And when you see this passage, you realize that he's not in a manger, but in his house, and he's not a baby, but he's a child. This is not the night he was born. This is two years later. He says to them in verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I may come and worship him. See, they said we'd come to worship him, so Herod's, he's smart. He says, yeah, I'd like to worship him too. With a knife is how I'm going to worship him. I'm going to kill him when I find him. That's what I'm going to do. That's what Herod, that's what he's thinking. Now, I want you to look at this. Humanly speaking, he says, you've got to go into the city, go into Bethlehem, and search out. Notice how it says it? Go into the city and search carefully for the child. Because he's going to be a little two-year-old boy or under, between, between one and two years old. He's going to be that age. So you've got to go in there, and you've got to find all these people with little boys running around, and you've got to find him. Is that what's going to happen? Otherwise, men are going to go, excuse me, y'all have it, y'all got a little child, under, you know, a little boy, two and under? No, okay, thanks, thanks, we're, we're looking for somebody. Is that what's going to happen? No, that's not going to happen. Watch what's going to happen. By the way, he wants to kill him. 
Watch what God does. He provides and protects. God guides, directs, and protects the wise men so they can find Jesus. Look what happened when they left Herod. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which had been in the east, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Did they have to go search carefully for the child? No. They went out and they went, oh, there's the star. There it is. Let's follow it. They followed it and it came over what? It says, right here it says the place. And it says where the child was. Not a baby, but a child. And look what it says. And they saw the star. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why? Because this is how you found him. This is how we know where to come to begin with. Now the star has appeared again, and it comes right over, and it says the house. Look at verse 11. After coming into the house. Notice, it's a house. It's not a manger. And so look what happens. After coming into the house, they saw the child, little boy, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down to the ground, and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They didn't see a little baby. They saw a little boy. In Greek, it would say, we didn't see a brethos. We saw a pation. We saw a little child. We saw a little boy running around. And what did they do? They worshipped him. Did you ever think about worshipping a two-year-old? Think about what it's like. They saw them. They saw this child and they worshiped him. They understood that this baby that had been born and is now two years old is the king of the Jews, the Messiah, and the savior of the world. That's who he is. The one born of the virgin, the son of David. And look what they did. And they opened, they, they worshiped him. They opened their treasures. They got it. Listen, don't picture three. It, don't tell them how many people are there. Maybe there's some representatives going in and said, the rest of you wait in the yard. We'll go in. You know, who knows how many people are there, right? And look what it says. They opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now think about that, gold. Gold always has the idea of deity. When you looked at the tabernacle, the things that represented God in the tabernacle were made out of solid gold. They gave him gold, which is very expensive deity for the king. They gave him frankincense. Frankincense really smells good. It, it was the idea of a pleasing life. And so they said, this, this represents this pleasing life of this one. And then myrrh. When you see myrrh, myrrh really smelled good, but it was used to anoint dead bodies so that they wouldn't smell as bad. And that's symbolic of his coming death and burial and then his resurrection. They presented offerings as acts of worship. That's what they did. Their gifts were acts of worship. They gave to the one born king of the Jews. And by the way, you do the same thing this morning. We, talked to, we, we had an offering, right? When you gave, that's an act of worship. When you take whatever God gives you and you give a portion of it away, that's an act of worship to God. It's amazing. So a little two-year-old boy, they give these gifts to. Now, that, that's a, by the way, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Let's talk about Joseph and Mary for just a second. Did they have a lot of money? No, they did not. In fact, when they left 
Nazareth to go to Bethlehem for the decree. Remember the decree came out that everybody had to return to their hometown for the, for, to be registered for the census. And they got down there, and by the time they got there, they traveled slowly. When they got there, there was no room for them. In the end, they were basically outside, and Jesus was born. Two years had passed. And here's the question. Why are they still down there? Why didn't they go back to Nazareth? You know why? They didn't have any money to go back to Nazareth. Joseph was a carpenter. He probably said, well, I could try to make a living down here. You know how we know they were poor? When, you're eight, when a baby was eight days old, they had to bring a sacrifice and name the baby. When, the, when it was a boy, 33, years after, 33 days after that, they had to bring another sacrifice. They gave both times, found in the Gospel of Luke, the poorest sacrifice you could offer. They offered two little birds. Some sacrifices were a lamb. Some sacrifices was another animal. But the most inexpensive sacrifice, if you didn't have any money, you gave two little birds. They gave two little birds. They had no money. Suddenly, these people come, and now they're rich. I mean, I'm not talking about having a little money. They got gold. They got frankincense. They got myrrh. Myrrh cost a lot of money. Frankincense cost a lot of money. Gold was very expensive. Now, you could say, they're in the money. I mean, think about it. They're going, wow, we've never had this kind of money, right? What are they going to use this money for? They're going to need it because they're fixing to make a trip. They're fixing to go all the way to Egypt. They're going to stay in Egypt for about two years and then make the trip back. They don't have any money. Now they do have money. This is the money that God has provided for them so they can make the trip to Egypt and come back. And so look what happened. It says, they gave the gifts, oh, frankincense and myrrh. And then, having been warned by God in a dream not to go back to Herod, not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. They never went back to Herod. Now, Herod's not going to be happy about that because he's already told them to go down there, find a baby, tell me when you find, to find the little boy. When you find him, I'm going to go down there and worship him. He really wants to go down there and kill him. But they're gone. They've been warned. They took God at his word. Let me tell you something. God's word, don't go back to Herod. What's God's word to us? It's all over the Bible. We've got, do we take the word of God seriously when it says don't do this or do this? Do we live it out? We have God's word to us. I, wanna, I had really stopped at verse 12, but I want you to see verse 13 because I want you to see what God does in, in this one. They were warned in a dream. Look, Matthew, he warned them. Now, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. If those magi had not come, they had no means to make a trip to Egypt and live there. Now they have the money to go. That's what those gifts were for. So what have we seen? We've seen the wise men coming to find the one born of the king. We've seen Herod and Jerusalem's upset. Herod learns about the, from the religious leaders at Bethlehem, sends the wise men down there so they can know where he is. They worship Jesus and they're warned and they leave. And we continue to see the sovereignty and the protection of God as he warns Joseph as well. And we'll take up there next time. Let me give you a quick, quickly application. Let's rest in the sovereign protection of God. Just remember, God's in control. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He is sovereign. He's working all things, all these events. The wise men come in, finding Jesus, going to Jerusalem, then going down to Bethlehem, giving the money. All of those are the sovereignty of God. We also see we have the protection of God. Hebrews 13, he'll never leave us or forsake us. We saw how 
how he protected the wise men, how he protected Joseph. He will protect us. Second, let us worship Jesus Christ, our Savior, Messiah, and King. Let's do it. Worship is responding. The wise men came and worshiped. Look at this. Go, Jesus Christ is our God. Frankincense, he is the perfect life and the perfect man. And myrrh, he died for us and rose, paying for our sin, giving us eternal life as a gift. You can worship God in many, many ways. And we respond to God as we sing, as we pray, as we study, as we give. All of those are acts of worship. So every Sunday when you come here, Come with the idea you have come to worship the living God. And finally, last but not least, let's obey the word of God. Just like when the wise men were told, get out, they left. When Joseph is told, get out, he leaves. We, we, we got to go back to the Bible. Always understand scripture and live out the truth. May, be, may we be men and women who live by the word of God.